Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? It's going great. Had a great weekend and ready for the work week. I'm excited to keep moving on projects. I know it's still it's the last quarter of the year, right? So we're <laughs> scrambling to finish projects that need to be finished and actually start new ones. So I'm really excited. So that's awesome. Yeah, you you got to finish strong. No, I'm, I'm the same boat. I got several yeah. projects. I'm well, several listings and buyers I'm representing and people who are looking to lease space that I'm representing as well. We're just working to try to get them all squared away here soon. I'm going to be going to a conference this coming week, which I'm excited to go check out. And yeah, just trying to finish the year strong and, you know, build on the success of this year into next year. So should be a pretty good rest of the year. But this episode is actually quite interesting because we've decided to kind of interview each other. And in this case, we actually sat down and interviewed our fabulous co-host, Jeff Walston, and learned a little bit more about his background and you know, what got him into the commercial space. Uh, I thought that it would be kind of cool to do this because, you know, you guys who are listening to us on a regular basis, you may know a little bit about us, but it, it's it's always nice to kind of dive in and really get granular about who we are, what we do, and why we do what we do. So uh, as far as the episode's concerned, we really dove into Jeff's motivation into getting into commercial construction, uh, really how he transitioned from the residential space to the commercial space. Uh, he walked us through some of his experiences scaling a decent sized franchise operation, a serve pro, the systems he was able to develop, et cetera. And then talked about his experiences developing dental labs in South and Central America, working in Chile, Colombia, and Mexico to do so. So there's definitely unique challenges when it comes to doing something like that across the globe. But, you know, we learned a lot of lessons through those experiences. And then we dove into the entrepreneurship route, right? Because Jeff is an entrepreneur has been so for several years and really has had businesses pretty much his whole life. So he's a, he was able to compart some wisdom to younger entrepreneurs and those who are you know just active entrepreneurs about some of the lessons he learned throughout his experiences as an entrepreneur and some of the biggest challenges he faced and how he's able to overcome those challenges. And then finally, we rounded it out. We talked a little bit about some of the advice that he'd wish he had had when he first started and then some of the most impactful books that he's read that have really impacted his personal and professional life. So Really a value-packed episode. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything you'd like to add? Like you said, I think if uh, any entrepreneur, and if you want to get to know us as co-hosts, we started with me to, to get people to know who I am and Raphael's is coming up next, but I try to give as much as I can on this episode. So if you're looking to start a business or already in business and maybe having some trouble, maybe listen to this and hopefully it'll help you out and guide you. Uh, a little bit further along the adventure of owning your own business and entrepreneurship. So I'm excited for you guys to take a listen. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and you do provide a lot of value in this episode. So if you guys are going to listen to this, you definitely need to, because it is in fact a treat. So let's dive right into the episode. So as we usually do with our guests, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. 
born and raised in Kentucky, um, around Taylorsville Lake area. And my family uh, was in the construction trades and concrete in particularly when we were younger. So I've been around trades all the time and kind of uh, fell in love with the general contractor aspect of construction. And so that led me into building houses and uh, soon graduated instead of going to college. I took out a construction loan to build my first house and that kind of took off a career there and uh, dabbled in like con commercial construction and both family business of my own, which grew into uh, where we're at today with premise construction and mainly focusing on commercial construction. And it's been a ride. It's 20 years now in the making, not with this company, but in construction and all aspects of construction in that world. Uh, so very diverse background, I would say. Oh, for sure. And it, you started so young, like just in, in the field. And so get, getting those unique perspectives from an early age and then transitioning into different types of construction, both residential and commercial, has definitely been a benefit. And I'm sure it's helped you a lot as you, you know, worked in your business yeah. and now you're growing your commercial sure. construction side. So one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, you mentioned that when you first got started uh, after graduating from high school, you started building houses. What made you switch over to commercial real estate in particular? Because, you know, I definitely heard, heard a lot of people in the past that, you know, they stick with either resident, stick with residential. And, but I was kind of interested to hear why, why the switch? Why do you, why do you make the jump? Uh, overall aspect for me is, uh, swapping time for money aspect mm -hmm. um, per hour and what it takes to do a commercial. A lot of times the planning process uh, in a commercial job is already taken care of when it comes to an architecture, right? They've already got blueprints and such and, and has figured out exactly um, what they want it to look like. And all that's already done uh, when a GC gets there most of the time, where as in you might get some blueprints to build a house per, per se but now you got to go and do all these selections and take that whole process up front and the pre-planning in residential and make sure that the client is happy with what what they have and commercial i feel like a lot of that's eliminated everybody knows what they want at the get-go uh, you might get the occasional uh if that on a job to change it up but uh for the most part um and then commercial, it's still emotional, but a lot less, you know, right? It's like if you're doing a residential remodel, you know, this is where people lay their heads at night. So they get home from a stressful day. And if you're doing a, a basement remodel, they go down there and, you know, now anxiety and stress is heightened because they're looking at a product that's not finished. And most of the time, people don't understand the whole construction process. And especially now, right, we're in the COVID times and material is just taking forever to get no matter what on residential or commercial side, because, you know, people aren't working still and people are behind and, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think as far as trading the time with money and then the emotion side, uh, drew me to the commercial construction. And also say if you build a restaurant or, a 20 story office building, you know, your grandkids are going to be able to drive past that and it's going to be a publicly used facility. So you're going to get thousands and thousands of people to walk through, you know, a piece of what you've created, help create. So that's awesome. Yeah. 
No, for sure. And, and I mean, like you said, I mean, it, it is two different sides of the coin, right? A lot of people yeah. think that there are a lot of, and, and there are definitely some similarities between residential and, and commercial real estate. But like you said, especially in the GC side, I think it is very emotional of a process in the residential, on the residential side because of the fact that people live there. A lot of times, if, if there's an active work site when they're on when when they're actually living there, it can add more stress to everything. And you know, like you said on the on the commercial front, I I also enjoy that being able to provide something that the community can utilize for a long period of time. I mean, if you think about it, if you if you help build out a restaurant, which I know you did one here locally, it's called a Boom Boss Pizza. I mean, think about how many people go through that restaurant on a yearly basis. Probably thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So those are people that are sure. able to see your work and, you know, being able to interact with what you work so hard to be able to construct. And so it definitely yeah. adds some value to the production that you've been able to accomplish. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you, which is something that I always found interesting about your background is that you used to work for a company that used to develop dental labs in South America. And so I wanted you, I was wondering if you talked to us a little bit about that experience and maybe you know, walk us through some of the things you had to do and, and, and what, what the ultimate outcome was of those scenarios. So, yeah, that was a, a Gladwell Dental Lab. It's a, one of the largest dental lab corporations in the world. And uh, they hired me on to do the East Coast. Uh, but uh, they soon realized that on the East Coast, they didn't do their due diligence in some cities. So they already had plans for Central and South America. So they decided if I could do nationally why not do internationally so they sent me to central and south america to open up dental labs because those cities down there are growing rapidly and uh, they're in need of dental labs and uh, so yeah they, they sent me down there we went to santiago chile and colombia uh, costa rica mexico city a lot of different places to open up dental labs and experience was great i, I know for for me going to a city to work was definitely more eye-opening than someone who's just going to a place to vacation right i mean most of the time there's vacation destinations and you're not understanding the way 100 percent of a culture until you diverge into that when you get onto the working side of it right so that was definitely for me definitely eye-opening and makes me appreciate america as a whole for sure. So those dental labs, how how were they primarily constructed? Was it was it one singular type of model that you kind of implemented or iterated across the different types of countries? And maybe what what were some of like the hurdles that you had to deal with when it when it came to building these these labs? So for other countries, a lot of them are right. So the dental lab, if you think of that as if you think of it as like a factory floor, essentially. And you have your product and it starts at the beginning of the assembly line and, and we just move down to the next one and it's, most of the time it's just a u-shape uh, for those dental labs and uh, if it's a square or rectangle building or however that we wanted to build it out we would just design it to that particular space uh, but still keep in line with the assembly line essentially to build them out uh, the most frustrating and learning curve that I had was shipping things from America to another country. That was a whole nother process. And I was definitely down several notches on a learning curve when it comes to shipping things outside of the U.S. 
and what it took to go through customs. And for instance, Santiago, Chile, I was already down there getting the lab walls built and all the electrical and plumbing and gas and airlines ran, but all of our cabinetry, all the equipment and everything took 29 days to get from Southern California down to Chile. And that wasn't just the shipping, you know, on a ship that was because it needed to go through customs and set there for weeks on end um, while they went through it piece by piece and to check everything before we could even get it to the labs. And there were some holdups, you know, storms hold up ships and things of that nature. So I think that ended up taking almost 40 days before we actually got our cabinetry and pieces of equipment in there. Um, and the communication between myself and customs and the government down there and everyone that was a little difficult because, you know, every, they're making you jump through hoops, which they should. And, uh, so that, that was the learning process that I had to, had to go through. And that was my biggest hurdle was just the whole shipping to the different countries. Oh, for sure. And again, that's, that's, as we're starting is, as is evidenced by, uh, as we're recording this, we're hopefully at the tail end of the current, the COVID-19 pandemic, but oh, yeah. how important supply chain is to everything that happens within the global economy, right? So if one of thing course. gets held up, it's going to hold up a whole nother process and that causes the timeline to expand and extend. And so that that's one thing that's kind of interesting, obviously with something that like, like what you do is that certain things have to be done before other things can take place. And, you know, if one other thing of the process gets held up that needs to be done before another process can, can take place, that literally expands the entire time horizon of the project significantly. So that's why, you know, I'm sure now having gone through that experience, I mean, obviously here locally, it's probably a little bit easier to be able to deal with sourcing products uh, outside of COVID, obviously, but compared to what you had to deal with in Santiago, but now you, I bet you have a brand new appreciation for making sure that you have the proper timelines about when supplies can be on site in order to now complete the project in a timely manner. So. Oh, for sure. So one of the greatest things that I learned from that whole process and that adventure was being able to call upon. So go outside of the supply chain and go straight to the manufacturer and call someone there and hold them responsible for, for when they're going to make the product, release the product and get it on the road and then being able to map out. So that, that experience actually, I think gave me a leg up on a lot of people because I know some contractors that's never done that before that's around here, they're just used to calling someone at the supply house and saying, Hey, where's my product? And then those people there at the supply house is now calling the shipping companies, but they may or may not even call manufacturers or now, now that actually are. So you're getting a better understanding of how long it takes the process of creating something and then getting it shipped out the door. So I think I was ahead of most GCs when it came to being prepared for COVID when it come to that aspect. Yeah, because you just took initiative and tried to, you know, oh, circumvent yeah. the, the the line of contact, which sometimes yeah. you have to do because, I mean, if you're not getting the answers that you need to in order to make sure you're able to perform your, your role effectively, sometimes you need to go around people and say, okay, oh, yeah. well, obviously I'm not getting answers or, or getting the right answers from you. I'm just going to go do what I need to do outside of this, this yeah. linear linear type of speaking relationship. So, and not saying that the supply houses aren't doing their jobs, just 
they're getting the answers from these shipping companies and they're like, I don't know. So that's what they're passing on to the customer, me being their customer. And then I'm trying to pass that on to my client. And once it gets to the client, typically, I don't know is, you know, not a good they answer. don't accept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have to take it upon myself to call all the way to the manufacturer and say, what's going on. And, um, and a lot of times what it is, is they're, uh, they've been short, uh, people. So they might be doing a thousand units per day prior. And now they're only doing 250. That's going to slow the whole process down. So hundred percent. So you, you did that for several years. Uh, and also a part of your background in, includes, you know, scaling a, a pretty decent size serve pro. So I was just kind of curious if you could talk a little bit about that experience and maybe some of the lessons you learned from it. Yeah, so I got hired on there to be a project manager to begin with. Um, and they were growing before I even got there. Um, their systems and processes weren't fully being mandated and or followed. So um, I took it upon myself to start implementing all the systems and process into making sure and holding people accountable for those. And by doing so, we upped our production people teams were able to get more more work done in a timely manner plus we were able to hire people on because now you have systems and processes whether people like to admit or not that's i mean overall that's what we follow right um, whether it's the right process or the wrong process but at the end of the day it's nice to have a roadmap to get you where you're going and uh, and so i start holding people accountable and start running the, the operations side of that Surpro, and uh, we really grew that into what it, I wouldn't say I didn't make it to what it is today, but to one of the, it was one of the largest ones at the time when I was leaving. Um, but I also helped start their construction arm of the, the whole company, which was interesting when it comes to insurance <laughs> construction work, because they have a set price and uh, that has to be negotiated. Uh, so it was a lot of contractual back and forth a lot of phone calls to figure out how to get a job done that required more money than that they were willing to allow so that that was a task all of on its own but uh at the end when i left uh they're rapidly growing and uh now i think they're they bought out all the franchises uh within kentuckiana which is uh, what people don't know some of them in southern indiana uh new albany jeffersonville and then all of Jefferson County. So they now own all those and they bought out everyone and they own their own building now, several crews. Like we had at the beginning, I think we were up to 20 crews when I left. I think they've even have even more than that now, uh, especially since their construction arm has grown. That was definitely an experience and uh, that taught me how to help people out in a catastrophe so anytime that surpro was called you know there was a fire or they found mold and it's everywhere and now people are getting sick in the house or they went they ran some other uh, dishwasher in their kitchen right and they were like oh we're going to go to the grocery store real quick and pick up something then they come back and their entire house is flooded full of water and then if you add that to they were getting ready to have thanksgiving for all their entire family involved uh, I mean, for them, their their world's upside down, and you had to learn how to be empathetic for sure for people. 
in that area because water does lots and lots of damage just like fire and mold uh, to a house and it's i mean that's their world right it's your it's your it's your house it's your world and it can definitely be turned upside down in one of those so uh, i think that whole learning process helped out with customers being empathetic to them and then they taught taught me the empathy of being a leader in an organization because uh, the guys that work there the men and women that work there they worked sometimes 80 90 hours a week because if a storm came in and flooded 500 homes in jefferson county these guys were working around the clock to try to uh, remediate all of that for for everyone and try to make as many people as they can take care of them so yeah and i think i think one of the important lessons that you kind of shared is whenever you try to scale any type of organization it requires systems and processes to be in place because there's always if if you don't if you have too much variability within the processes you don't get a consistent product and as yeah. business owners i mean if you can't if you can't guarantee a particular outcome for a client you're not going to be successful right i mean that's yeah. look at look at some of the most successful companies in the world they provide a consistent experience a consistent product on a regular basis and so i think that was a, a great help of what you just mentioned is is incorporating process design within your day-to-day -day operations and then obviously accountability is another big piece because if you don't like inspect what you expect and then hold people accountable to reach those metrics then it doesn't really matter right because the organization is not going to grow and succeed because the results don't matter you know so having that wherewithal and saying okay we've documented the processes we now have a clear understanding of where we want to be and how we want to get there. And then now it's like, we got to get there. And if you fall short, I'm going to tell you you're going to fall short. And then we're going to continue to try to improve and grow and expand. But if you continue to fall short after a while, you got to start reevaluating whether or not that relationship needs to maintain itself. So, I mean, again, that's, that's just leadership 101 uh, yeah. and management, management in particular. So that's a pretty unique, uh, experience you got there so when you were at servpro you had the experience at servpro you had the experience uh, developing dental labs in south america and then you decide to take the leap of faith into entrepreneurship which is a pretty scary experience i mean I, i've done it and you've done it and i know plenty of people that have done it in the past so uh can you tell us a little bit about that decision to make the leap of faith and then from there what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced thus far I've kind of always owned a company while working for someone else. Uh, it's always been in me, but this one particularly, uh, I was on a contractual agreement with the dental lab, um, and that was ending. And so I was wanting to come back home to be with my kids. So I went around to several companies, other GCs here in Louisville, uh, and spoke with them. A lot of people were interested. It just, um, I couldn't fault them for not wanting to hire me because now I have my kids 50% of the time. And so my obligation to them is, you know, if a school called, I have to go and, and pick them up, just like a lot of single moms have to do. And uh, and I was in that spectrum of, of parenting at the time. And some of those guys were like, well, I can't have you running a job. And then all of a sudden you just have to leave when, you know, I have these obligations at this other job. and so. That kind of led me to opening up my own because of my kids' uh, construction work. So 
I call people that I've worked with in the past and let them know that I'm starting a commercial construction company. And they actually had projects that were getting ready to start. And so there's five different people. I bid all five and I got three of them and that kind of took off premise. And then things that we have experienced is uh, growing issues. You know, we all have those things where uh, you're not quite ready. Uh, on financially, or you're not quite ready, like your systems and processes are not fully concreted in. And so we've been having growing pains when it comes to that. And then here comes the pandemic. Uh, I was willing to, we had several guys working for us pre COVID and, uh, actually I had to let them go because a lot of my projects were restaurant based. And so those projects went on the back burner for people which I couldn't blame them because that's just how the pandemic went. Nobody knew this was coming. So I let a lot of them go. So now we are hiring back slowly, um, cautiously and uh, taking our time to who we hire. We're trying to build not only a company, but a family oriented company to boot. And it's, it's one of those things that you definitely have to uh, be cautious of who you hire because I want them to be able to understand that, you know, with us, we value our customer just as much as ourselves, but our employees, uh, ultimately we, we take care of them and that's, that's what we want to continuously do for people. And, uh, so that's kind of where we're at now and going great overall, but like any other company, there's always growing pains and, uh, just pains in general hiccups that you, you go through, but yeah, we're, we're doing great and I can't wait to keep building the legacy and moving on with it so oh for sure yeah and it's a constant learning experience uh it what it is really i mean and again you have to always continually evolve as a person in order to make sure that your business is able to succeed and i think one of the biggest things that i learned outside of you know w2 employment is the consistency of cash flow right cash flow is mm -hmm. king in business and i know we 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 talked about the book profit first and you know i recommended yeah. that book to you a while back because it really was a, a like an eye-opening type of book for for me and i'm sure as for you as well because oh, yeah. you know in entrepreneurship cash flow is not consistent it, it depends right yeah. you could have accounts receivable of half quarter of a million bucks but if you can't collect on that you could be out of business pretty quickly so it's like one of those things oh, where being able to effectively manage the cash as your business receives it over a period of the course of the year is really what can help you scale your business consistently and, and grow in, in a healthy manner. Because uh, I met a lot of people that, that have been in business where they, they do very well early on and they, they receive money within their business and they spend it faster than they make it. And then one hiccup and the business goes out of business, even though they did a significant amount of revenue and yeah. from, from, what, from what you would look at from the outside looking in, you'd say, oh, wow, that business is doing really well because you know, they're making a ton of money, but again, cash flow is really what dictates whether businesses succeed or not. And if you don't manage your cash well, then, you know, you run the risk of making a mistake and if mistake compounds upon itself, then it could cause your business to go under. So it's one of those things where, you know, it, it is scary, you know, it's a scary proposition, yeah. especially when you go from consistent income to not consistent income. And that's even further compounded by the fact that we are in a business that was heavily affected by COVID. You know, I, I was, I'm in commercial brokerage and, you know, all my clients, most of my clients, when I, when COVID hit, they're like, Oh, I think we're going to wait. And it's like, yeah. you know, I didn't do anything for like two months or three months. I was just sitting on my hands like, okay, well, 
not much I can do. So you just kind of have to weather the storm. But I think you obviously made a good decision. And, you know, I, I'm excited to see your growth over the next couple of years uh, with your business and hopefully as well with our development company. Um, oh, but, yeah. But yeah, so what advice would you give to someone? So let's say that, you know, you're sitting across the table from someone who's maybe 20, 21, 22, and they're, they're, they've always loved construction in particular on the commercial end, but they're, and they're looking to get into like the GC space or some sort of development or start a development company. What type of advice would you give them? Uh, take some business classes. It all sounds great. Collect money, put it in the bank, spend that money to make more money with projects and material purchasing and things of that nature, but really sit down and learn business. The construction world don't teach most people that. And uh, I mean, you can take it from me. I've had several businesses over the years and that's actually how I've learned business. And I, but that cost me a lot of time, a lot of money when you could just simply go take a couple classes and learn, uh, like Raphael was saying, cash flow. Cash flow is king when it comes to most businesses and um, particularly construction. For me, it's it's a roller coaster ride. Cash flow, you could be high up on that roller coaster and then, well, okay, now I'm spending all this money on other projects and it's going out towards material and labor and payroll and and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you know, what happened to all my money? So if you don't fully grasp that going into it, you're not going to make it. And and so to take a couple of classes, like Raphael said, read the book Profit First. That was a huge one for me to help me better understand cash flow and just uh, start getting into those good habits. And if you can do that before you start the business and get into those good habits, I think that you're, you're going to go far and you're going to you're going to last the long haul because you just look at statistics, right? Um, most construction companies don't make it past three years. And then it just keeps going like people that pass five year mark. And then there's only a very, very, very small percentage that go to 10 year mark. And those guys are the ones who are like, all right, I need to learn business. And that's what I need to you know, focus on sales, marketing, the full aspect of that. You might be, extremely good at what you do in construction and i commend you for that that is an amazing feat but there's so much more to owning your own construction business there's that's just i would say 20 percent of of a construction business you know for sure and we both know that you you know that but you, you need to learn the, the other 80 percent, and that's take a few classes um speak to other people, uh, just ask questions. Um, what did they go through? What do they wish they, they would know? And don't be scared to ask questions. I know that's a huge, it took me quite a while. I think, you know, I, I would rather learn it from a book than ask the question when I first started out. But now I wish I just went ahead and just asked the person across the table for me, like, Hey, what, what would you do? And just, you know, write all those questions down and try to find the answers. Um, so, I mean, that's some great advice. And, you know, you kind of bring up a couple of good points. Uh, one being the, the business aspect, right? Because, you know, there's this book called The E-Myth Revisited that talks about, you know, the concept of those people who are like, hey, like I'm making all this money for someone else. You know, I'm doing this particular role for someone else. 
So might as well go off and do it on my own. But what happens a lot of times is that they're technicians, meaning that they're very good at their one job, but they don't really consider the holistic aspect of running a business. And so a lot of times you become, you essentially trade your one job for another job that ends up being like, uh, you work 10 times more and you make 10 times less. So it's just one of those things where you have to get very clear and, and understand how a business functions, how a business operates and, and learning from people like you and, you know, reading books and taking classes and, you know, getting a feel for how to effectively manage your cash flow is really what's going to help you succeed long-term. And in any business, I mean, there's a dropout rate. And if you can make it the 10 year, the 10 year mark, your piece of the pie is probably going to be pretty sizable, you know, Yes. Um, because you're going to outlast a lot of your competitors. And at that point you have your value propositions pretty significant because you have a significant amount of experience and you have a lot of projects that you can probably reference as far as the different things that you've been able to accomplish. And so really it's all up, it's all downhill from there. You know, you're, you're really able to compound the growth and, and value as long as you're able to effectively manage systems and continue to, you know, delegate responsibility down the, the chain of command and, you know, also make sure that the systems that are in place are good and you hold people accountable to, to reaching results. So those are all great pieces of advice. That's awesome. All right. So as you know, we usually have a few questions we like to ask the, our guests at the end of the podcast to get a feel for what type of content they, they like and everything else. And one of the questions we love asking is uh, what's the most impactful book that you've ever read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, I know a lot of the our guests have said that that that's one for sure that's been pretty impactful um, when it comes to my life, actually. Um, for business, I have enjoyed um, Profit First, like you were saying. That's really helped me understand the full aspect of the cash flow beast. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, Eat That Frog, <laughs> Brian Tracy. Um, just finished that. That's been eye-opening for me. When you're a business owner, you know, you're pulled in a million directions and you might make a huge, a huge list of things to do and you only get to five of them. And that's helped me just like, okay, I, I need to sharpen my pencil here and figure out what's the best plan of attack for the day. And um, what do I need to get done to, that's the most beneficial for the business? So that's been pretty impactful. But yeah, I guess I named off three there. But for me, that was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, right? And I read that a long time ago. And that got me uh, interested. I was always entrepreneur at heart and trying to do side jobs and stuff like that, even through high school and make extra money. And um, But that really got that going. and. Uh, motivated me to just go completely out on my own. So, and like you said, I think that's one of the most commonly referenced books. Yeah, on the podcast, and I, I think one of the great things about that book that I think is great is that it it makes this the example very simple, and it puts it in a, in a context that anyone can understand. And really, in my opinion, the most valuable lessons in business and life are super simple. You know. The concept of one of the books that I read that changed my life was the compound effect. It's like small, positive actions every single day add up to huge results. That concept is very, very easy to understand. It's like if I do X every day for five years, like 
it's going to yeah. be ridiculous the amount of the, the results you do. And, you know, yeah. they, he, they, he provided some, you know, unique examples within the book that kind of illustrated his point. But those simple business lessons, those simple life lessons, it, everyone out there is always trying to look for the next new thing, you know, the most flashy and, you know, next business lesson that's going to be, you know, 10x their business overnight. But all it really comes down to is just be consistent and make improvements every day. And don't try to get rich quick. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like if you're committed and you're willing to stay in the business and you're willing to do what it takes every day, slowly but surely building it up over time, I mean, you're going to be, you're going to be something special pretty quickly. So. Oh, for sure. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So near the end of the episode, we just wanted to first off, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously you're the co-host, so it's, it's, it's uh, very, uh, (laughs) you know, it's nice to be able to kind of interview you, but. I just wanted to ask you, what do you think you're willing to contribute today to the treasure chest? I think I'm going to send in, it's a, a top 10 questions to ask a commercial GC, but uh, you'll be able to use that for any contractor, really. Uh, there might be a couple on there that doesn't relate to residential and or a subcontractor, but it's definitely questions that you should ask any contractor. So I'll give that list. Um, and I think that'll give some value to people out there if they're looking to hire someone for a project they might have coming up. So for sure. Yeah, no, I think that'd be great. And, and again, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of times you just don't know the questions to ask. And especially with something that involves, uh, it's probably going to involve quite a bit of capital if you're doing some sort of build out or ground up construction and you're going to be utilizing the services of a commercial general contractor. Having a list of questions to reference, I think would be of extreme value to our listeners. So for sure. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right. Well, first off, thank you for being our guest and our co-host and just an awesome individual overall. So if people wanted to get in contact with you and learn a little bit more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably email. Um, if you guys are listening out there, it's Jeff Walston at premiseconstruction.com. You can uh, give me a shout. Uh, I'd be happy to speak with you through email form. Uh, and then if there needs to be a call or something, uh, we can go from there, but you can also reach out through our website, you know, www.premiseconstruction.com. Got YouTube channel. I'm on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram. So any of the social media, uh, minus Twitter, we're not on Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, and we're not on TikTok. We haven't joined that bandwagon, but uh, if you look at the, the main business, uh, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook, and reach out to email. So I think that'd be the best way for everybody sure. to get and, a hold of me. And I'll include all that in the show notes as well. So if you guys are listening to this in a YouTube or watching this on YouTube, then feel free to go down to the description and grab that information. If you guys are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or any other type of podcast medium, it will be in the description in the show notes. So awesome. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you guys love this this content, please let us know. We love hearing what you guys want to hear next. And if you do like the podcast, obviously we would really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the channel and also leave us a five-star review. If you're listening to this on a, a podcast format like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever else, uh, it really helps with the algorithms to make sure that this message get, reaches a broad range of individuals. And it gives us the opportunity to invite great guests to come on and talk a little bit of, about different types of commercial real estate concepts. So Again, thank you all for stopping by and we'll see you all next time.